Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys get a good night's sleep, right? Yeah, I heard the air over there. That's, that's about right. I think that's about right. On this, this, the one weekend of the year is like, uh, hopefully this is the last one, correct? Yes. Is it supposed to be the last one we do that? You guys aren't sure? Okay, hopefully it is. I don't know if it is or not, but we did vote for it to change, I think. Um, today we're going to look at um, the temple cleansing. Um, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for a while, you know, that, uh, you know that story probably pretty well. But let's open up with that verse that we're doing every week right now in, in these for six, seven weeks. First John 4, 18, I'm gonna have you read that verse and then I'm gonna break down one more, each, one more piece to it. So I'm gonna count to three and then read that verse out loud to everybody. Here we go, one, two, three. There is, okay, let's start all over again. That was, we could do better. I know you lost an hour, okay? But you're gonna be okay, right? Here we go, one, two, three. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love now we have said that um, the word perfect means to be mature of age and then love is the word agape that's God's love of the different four Greek words that you could use for love that's agape love and God's love is agape love is like um, it's like a love feast but you choose the highest good for other people and so you take that and you realize that God's love, he always chooses the highest good for you and I. Amen to that one? Now, we're to walk in that perfect or mature understanding that God always chooses the best for you and I. Say amen to that one right there. It casts out, it eliminates, it gets rid of fear. And fear is the Greek word phobos. We get, you kind of get the word phobia. And so we don't have to live in any phobias, any fears, any overwhelming fears. How many of you deal with fear in your life? Just be honest right now for a second. You have fears. Okay. God loves you and God takes care of you. And God, and when you understand that he chooses the best for you, it begins to eliminate all those fears in your life. And everybody said, so we don't have to walk in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Okay, good. So we're going to head into, um, into, the, um, into the temple cleansing today. If you're joining us, uh, we are in a series called The Final Act. We're taking every day of the last week of Jesus' life. Last week, we looked at the triumphal entry when he rides in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now we're looking at Monday which is the day he comes in and cleanses the temple. It would be the second time he cleanses the temple. But I want to begin today by giving you a couple of verses that um, one is connected to last week and another one is connected to this week. And I just want to give to you because I just want to show you how when some people say, well, the Bible is a book written by men. Yeah, men penned it, but it was inspired by God. Amen. And it can only be inspired by God because of the things, the prophecies in it. Let me show you a couple of prophecies. Now, the first one is found in Zechariah. This ties to last week with his triumphal entry. Let me read this, watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, 
humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The foal of a donkey, if you remember, it's the it's younger, younger relative of the donkey, the younger one. So Jesus, will, the Messiah, will ride into Jerusalem, and we know it from Palm Sunday because we're looking back in history. When Zechariah in 9.9, when he writes this, when he pens this prophetic statement of the future, he is writing 500 years before Jesus will ever mount that little foal of a donkey and ride in Jerusalem. 500 years before the event, guys. 500. So that's a prophecy of the 330 or 332 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. But it doesn't even end there. As we go into the, the temple cleansing, watch this one from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Watch this prophecy. It says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger. We know that's John the Baptist. And he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly, will suddenly come to his temple. Say temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So now Malachi writes that this Messiah will suddenly come into the temple. And we're going to see that today. That was written 400 years before this event ever happens. So you have a 500-year-old prophecy tying to the triumphal entry and a 400-year-old prophecy tying to when he suddenly appears in the temple. And these are just a few of the prophecies. There are so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. That's why when people tell me, that's ah, just a book written by men. It's impossible. Men could not have written this. This is inspired by God. There's so much. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this temple cleansing today. We're going to see the ins and outs of it. And the way I like to do it, and the way I'm going to do it in this series is this. I'm going to give you the what. I got three points. I'm going to give you the what, literally what's happening. And then I'm going to take from that and I'm going to draw application for it for you and I in the present. Sound like a plan? We're going to do that in three points today. So here we go. Number one in your notes, if you're taking notes, and that is Jesus looks for fruit in our lives. Does he not? Let me read verse uh, chapter 11 of Mark and read verses 12, 13, and 14. And here we go. Here he comes. It's the next day. Jesus has now wrote, read in. Last Sunday, we said that. He looked around the temple, and then he leaves. Now he's coming back on Monday. It says, on the next day, which is Monday, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Isn't that interesting that Jesus, God in the flesh, we find out he becomes hungry because he's not just God, he's also man. Correct? We found another place where he gets hungry, or thirsty, I should say. It was a Samaritan woman. He's thirsty, but here he's hungry. Verse 13. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf. So he sees a fig tree because he can tell it's a fig tree because of the what? Because of the what? Because of the leaves. Okay, good. And so he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Now, this is an interesting thing right here because Jesus, and by the way, why would we find something about Jesus talking about a fig tree? Anyone ever think about that? I mean, all of a sudden he's going to come, he's going to rip the temple apart, overturn the tables and everything, and he's going to talk about a fig tree? Well, let's, let's, think, let's think about that. So Jesus is coming back, and he sees a fig tree in the distance. He can tell it's a fig tree because it's got a tree. Now, we know he's hungry, right? And he's, Jesus is God. As God, does he know if there's figs on that tree or not? Yeah, of course he does. But it says he's going to go over there and take a closer look. Now, why would he do that? Uh, maybe because it says he's what? He's hungry. So he's going to go take a look at that one. But 
As he gets there, there's, there's no figs. And he says, no one's ever going to eat from you again. But why that story? Because after that, he just continues on to the temple and he's going to overturn the tables of the money changers. Why would he go talk about a fig tree? Let me tell you why. Because that fig tree is also a picture and symbolic of the temple there in Jerusalem. That temple looks good, looks like a temple, is a temple, but that temple has no fruit in it. It is a barren, barren thing. So this is a picture of that temple. So this tree, in a sense, is obsolete, and that temple, in a sense, is, good, is obsolete because it's not functioning the way it should function. Now let me tell you about that temple. Because how many remember the story where um, in John chapter 2, the first time Jesus comes into uh, Jerusalem and overturns the tables, and he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. Anyone remember that? Same right there? Okay, good. Because um, they said to Jesus, <laughs> it took 46 years to build this temple. Now stop right there. Because when they say it took 46 years, it doesn't mean they finished it means they've been building for 46 years. It's Herod's temple that he builds for the Jews. They've been building for 46 years. They still have 30 more years to finish that temple before it gets done around 62, 63 AD. It'll only last seven years, then it gets destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, and that's where the Jews flee to Masada, if you know some of your history. Now, 46 years, it's saying you're gonna raise them three days? Are you kidding yourself, Jesus? Now, this temple that Herod built, it's huge. It's, it's a big, big temple. Josephus, the historian, will write this about that temple. He said it had gold plates on the outside, covering the outside, and where there wasn't gold plates, it had pure white marble on it. So if you were walking from a distance and you saw that temple, which you couldn't miss it, sits high up altitude-wise on Mount Moriah, and it's huge. Um, he said, Josephus said, it looked like it was covered in snow. It was just this beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus says, or he compares that fig tree to the temple on the Temple Mount. No fruit, no evidence that you're, a, that you're actually a fig tree. You got leaves, but you got no fruit. Temple, you look like a temple, but there's no fruit. Do you see how he's comparing the two? Say amen to that one. And so that's what he's doing right now. That's why he inserts this little story here. Now, what's the application for you and me and all of us and those of you watching at home right now? Jesus one day said this, a tree is known by its, by its fruit. If I'm a Christian, if I confess Christ, I should be, there should be evidence of the way I live. Any amens of that one? I mean, there should be evidence. Now, let's talk about evidence just kind of give you a mental picture so about three weeks ago maybe two I don't know what it was but I get confused with these things sometimes my son Nathan he asked me if he can borrow my truck for the weekend how many parents know you never stop parenting how many parents know that when you think you're out they drag you back in and so he wants to swap cars because his wife's going to be out of town and he's going to be left with the kids two and a half years old in 13 months. How many guys dread that idea right there, right? And so I, I said, okay, you know, and, and so he, get, he gives me his car, which is the car he drives to work and back to save money. It doesn't even have power windows. <laughs> I 
And, and so, and, you know, the nice car his wife take, I said, okay, no problem, because how many know you'll do whatever for your grandkids, right? Because otherwise they'll withhold them from you and life is over now. <laughs> and so he has my truck for the weekend. And I, I took a picture of the gas needle to show him how many, <laughs> right? How many guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so I do things like that. And I forgot that I did that, but I do things like that. And so, um, so I go get my truck. And as we exchange keys, he goes, hey, dad, 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 I, I just got to tell you. Um, Lincoln, who's two and a half, how many know when you have a two and a half year old loose in a, in a vehicle, things are just crazy in there? It's not that things don't work anymore. It's like, he goes, I got to tell you what she did. I go, great. I remember I had this little pack uh, of candy on the, right here on the console. He goes, uh, she got that. She ate it right away. It's gone. Okay, I can handle that. And then he pulls out these lug nuts and he says, uh, she found these. I said, I didn't even know I had those. Where'd she find those at? They were somewhere in the truck. Uh, to this moment, I've had it six years. I don't even know what they're for. But she found them. And then I reached in my glove compartment and my, the owner's manual with the nice case you get from the factory, it's gone. And in there is my registration and my proof of insurance. I said, Where, where's this at? It, usually it's in the glove and you're driving there's the glove I finally found it it was under my seat how does it get from there to here and so oh my gosh you do that and then I look in the back seat where Nolan who's 13 months where his car seat was you can't even see the color of the car seat anymore or the color of my seat because there's crumbs everywhere how many know exactly what I'm talking about yeah and so he didn't have to tell me that the kids were in there I could deduce that from the evidence <laughs> that they were there. There was the evidence of them being in my truck. Let me tell you, that's the same that is true for you and I as Christians. People around us should be able to deduce from our behavior, our actions, the way we dialogue, the way we treat people at work, they should deduce that we are Christians. Amen to that one? They should be able to see that. Look, listen. That's called credibility. If I'm going to share my faith, if I'm going to witness to somebody for Christ, I better have already been um, building the foundation of that I live my life for Christ and they see there's something different about me, something morally right. Correct? Am I right? So that when I share... They can't sit there and say, well, you're not a Christian because you were doing this, this, and I heard you say that, and all. You want to live your life morally right. You want to live in love, joy, peace, self-control, long-suffering, etc. You're looking for evidence. They're looking for evidence. Jesus said it like this. So let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, right? Now let me take it in deeper application, evidence. You guys want a deeper one? Yes. Okay, I'll give you one. You may not like it. Okay, let's, let's say, I don't know, if you're dating, and probably on a day we lost an hour of sleep last night, all the daters are still sleeping in. So maybe you're at home right now. But if you're dating, or you're, you're looking to date one day, whatever. When you're dating, you, you want to look for evidence, right? Has anyone ever thought this before? The next time I date, or you're divorced, next time I marry... I'm going to look for personality, not just looks. Has anyone ever thought that before? No one? I've heard people say that before, yeah. That's what Olivia said about me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, 
But here's the thing. Listen, listen closely. If you're dating and you start getting serious about this person, you better start looking for some evidence. If I'm you, and I learned this from Dr. Dobson, focused on the family about 30-some years ago. Anybody know Dr. Dobson? He said, I never forgot this. He said, if you're, girls, you're dating this guy, you need to watch and see how this guy treats his mama. Guys, you're dating this girl, you better watch and see how this girl, how she treats her daddy. See, some of you guys, it's too late now. Because you don't know why she's psycho at times, right? Why is she mad at me? She ain't mad at you, she's mad at daddy. It's just that you're another guy in the way. Have you ever thought that before? Now, don't go home and fight, okay? Even though I started it, okay? But you want to watch those things. And then watch how they treat the waiter or the waitress. Am I right? Watch how they do that. Look for those things. Watch and see if they, if they want to hang around with your family or people. Or if they're always, no, just us, just us. That means they have no relational skills. That means they're insecure and they don't want, they think they're going to lose you. That's abandonment, which clamps tighter and tighter and tighter when you're married. Any amens on that one? Anybody ever experienced that? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. And so you're looking for all this evidence all the time because you don't want to get stuck in a relationship. But they're so cute. It don't matter. It don't matter because after a while, how many know cuteness wears off? Raise your hand. I want to know. It just wears off because you're looking for some real substance in the person. You're looking for, are there figs on the fig tree? That's what you're looking for right there, right? And so the application for our life is Jesus looking for figs. The temple has no fruit. Well, you and I in our life, we got to look for, we have to have fruit in our life so that our witness is good. And if you're dating, look for fruit in people's life. This is somebody that's, okay, this is a, this could be a good catch right here or no, the way they treated that waiter, waitress, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. So does that make sense? Okay, good. Number two in your notes, and that's this. Um, where am I, number two? Okay, Jesus does the unexpected. Okay, verse, uh, verse 15, let me read that one. Here he goes. Jesus is coming in. He's going to rip it apart. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. Now, when it says he entered the temple, it doesn't mean he went inside all the way into the Holy of Holies. He's on the Temple Mount in the temple proper right now. And began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who are selling doves. Say doves. doves. We'll say that again in a little bit now. Now, Jesus does the unexpected. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Yes or no? Okay. He comes in the temple. He tears the temple up. Question. Last Sunday, when we talked about triumphal entry and everybody, all the Jews saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Did they expect that Jesus would come into the temple and just rip it apart. What would they have expected? We said it last week. They would have expected him to go to the Roman barracks called the Fortress of Antonia on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. That's where it stood, here, and the temple was here. They would have expected him to go to the Fortress of Antonia because those are the Roman oppressors and overthrow them, right? Yes or no? not overthrow the temple. So he does the unexpected. That's what's going on. Now let me give you application. 
Have you ever noticed that we have this great ability to make Jesus sound like what we want him to be like? That we can create him in a sense in what fits our personal preference or sin at times? Anybody? We're all susceptible to it. There's not a one that doesn't. I mean, they leave Egypt. Let us make a God that'll go before us. They want to make their own God. And by the way, if you have to make your own God, that's a problem. We're all susceptible to make Jesus into what we want him to be. They expect, no, you're gonna, no, 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 Jesus. We want you, you're, you gotta go overthrow the Romans, not the temple. This is a Jewish temple. No, no, we want you to be this kind of a God. And we, we have a tendency to do that. No, in Romans 8.29, it says, you and I are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? But our problem at times is we wanna conform Jesus to the image of ourselves to fit what we want, to fit maybe our personal sin. People do that all the time. All of us do, do that. We have to watch it. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration of how people try to conform Jesus to what they want. This is something that happened to me 40 plus years ago. I think about 41 years ago. And it's the best illustration, and I use this every time I talk about this idea because it's still the best illustration of a personal experience that I had. So most of you know that I used to be a correctional officer, right? Yes or no? Okay, I was a correctional officer over at Chino. Long time ago in a land far away. And so one time I'm paired with this officer, and, uh, and I was a young Christian, man. I was probably saved two years, and so, I, I mean... I'm just going to tell you. That's who I was. I mean, I've gained some wisdom over the years and stuff like that on how to approach people. But um, So I'm paired with this officer. And you're paired for eight hours. So she's got me for eight hours. And I start talking about Jesus at a certain point, that I'm a Christian. She goes, so am I. I'm a, I'm a Christian too. Oh, great. And then... After a few many minutes, and I don't remember how long it was, but she said, yeah, me and my boyfriend live together. And I'm a young Christian, and I'm a John the Baptist type. What do you think I did? I go, you guys having sex? Well, yeah, I go, then you're in sin. And it was just, boom, just like that. I was really, mm. and it is true, it is sin. So I'm not going to patty cake anything here. And I probably said it too harsh and too blunt. I'm sure I did. I was young and I, I'm just real zealous and so after that our time together didn't go good that day <laughs> it just really took a sour note and I have to work with her the next day so she goes home I go home and the next day she comes back and I'm you know I don't know what to expect and she tells me that her words I'm, <laughs> she goes I went home yesterday my boyfriend knew that I was not feeling good. I was feeling down. I was in my room. I just went home, shut the door, and he knew just to leave me alone all night and sleep on the couch because I just wasn't, I knew I wasn't. She goes, and she told me this. She goes, about the whole situation the day before. She goes, God is love, and he knows my heart. So I knew enough at that moment that this, this is just going to be an argument, and I'm not going to go down that road. I already stated it. I already told her the truth of God's word. Now, here's the deal. When she said God is love and he knows my heart, don't worry, I'm not going to fall. I know you panic. 
Is God only love? Okay, you're love too, aren't you? Are you only love? You have multiple layers of your personality, correct? Correct. Yes. So does God. There is character qualities. He's not just love. He's also holiness and justice and etc. Right? Right? But when you say God's only love, which is real popular today, then you can just do whatever you want. Oh, God loves me. And he does. But he's more than that. He's holiness and he's justice and he's all the other things. And so she was basically creating a God into what she wanted that God to be. And you can't do that. Any amens? Now, let me give you two little sub-things here now. See, some of you, somebody in this room, you're like, see you Christians. That's why I don't want to be a Christian because you're so old-fashioned. You don't believe, you can't have sex before marriage? Well, not according to God. Not according to God. Yeah, but I don't believe that. I, I feel like, oh, you feel. Oh, you feel that's right, huh? So you base it on your feel. Here's what I always tell people, and this is one you can use. And if you come and challenge me, it's the one I use on you. Because it works and it's true. And there's many ways to go and go, but I tell people this. So you believe in premarital sex? Yes. Okay. So if you have a daughter, she grows up and she's 17 and you let her go out on a first date. So when that gorilla comes to the door <laughs> to pick her up on that date, because you believe in premarital sex, yes. You're going to tell that guy, say, you know, my wife and I believe in premarital sex. We want you to take our daughter and have all the sex you want with her. You're like shocked that I said that, huh? But what's that, what's that person going to say when you tell them that? No, I, uh, why won't you let him? Because you know it's wrong, huh? Any amens? Don't be afraid to say amen to this stuff, okay? No, because see, once you put it in a different category, it changes everything, huh? When it's just personal lust and infatuation, oh, I believe in premarital sex. Oh, but when is my dad? Oh, no! And now you know it's wrong. And that's the way you have to logically bring it to people. See, you just want to have premarital sex because it's your lust and your infatuation. And it's all about you. That's not love because remember that verse, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Remember that? Love says, I choose the highest good for the other person. The other person. And every time you're in a situation, ask yourself, what would love require me to do in this situation? True God love, not lust love. Okay, now let's, I know you're, some of you are like, let me get to something else. Okay, okay. God, God's love and God loves me and I can just, okay, I can, let me blow a hole in that one. God is only love, okay. Let's say you go out to the parking lot today and let's say you have a brand new car or just a, I don't know, quite a kind. But anyway, your car. You go out there and somebody in church and, and you, like they're sitting next to you right now somewhere and they just back up and bam, they hit your car. They smash that thing up and they get out and are you going to walk up to them and say, I am love. <laughs> I am love. Go ahead. It's okay because I am love. Go ahead. It's okay. Just drive away because I am love. Are you going to do that? Oh, heck no, you're not. You want justice, huh? 
You're going to pay for that. Let me see your proof of insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because you're not just love. You have many facets to your character. That's true. And so we have to be careful with this idea. Jesus does the unexpected. Because they're trying to put him in a mold and say, this is what God is like. He's, oh, no, 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 no. No, don't put me in your mold. Don't conform me to your image. You are to conform to his image. I'm to conform to his image. That's why people have trouble with the scriptures and God because they have to obey this, what this says, and they just don't want to. And I would say, you need to go back in your childhood maybe and find out what happened, why you're so resistant against an authority figure in your life. But that's a free one for you. You don't have to tithe on that one right there. Now, number three, the third thing is this. Jesus clears the clutter. Now look at verse 15, 16, 17. And it says this. <clears throat> go back to the temple cleansing. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Say doves. Okay. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. You know that they had so defiled the temple, people were using that temple as a shortcut? Now, wow. It'd be like we're up here having worship. Somebody just walks through. It's a shortcut to get to this side over here. He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? Oh, that's interesting. Now, what's going on? Let me give you the what. Jesus walks in that temple. He's like John Wick, Equalizer, and the Terminator all rolled into one. You got the music, Bat of the Bone, playing in the background by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. He just rips, na, 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 na. Give me your clothes. No, he didn't say that. That's Terminator 2, by the way. That's the what. But let me give you the more of what's going on. Why? Why, is, why does he do that? Why does he come and just tear it apart? What's, let me tell you why, in case some of you don't know. So everybody's got to come every year who's a believer in Yahweh God at this time. And they got to bring their Passover lamb. They all have to do it. It's got to be sacrificed for the forgiveness, you know, forgiveness. And so they would bring their lamb. The Sadducees, they were like in charge of the temple. They were, that's where they were. The Pharisees, they were in the synagogues out in the countryside, different parts of the country. They, the Sadducees are, they're not just religious, they're politicians also. Never forget, they're both. And they're getting filthy rich. God, gosh, politicians getting in office, becoming rich, and leaving later? Well, that's a shock. <laughs> and hurting people. So they bring the lamb. The lamb's got to be spotless perfect. They bring the lamb. Tell them I said hi, whoever from that is. They bring this lamb, and the, they would inspect it. And they would say, uh, Nope. It's not perfect, but we just happen to have all these lambs over here. They've been pre-inspected, and you can buy one of ours. But our lambs, then the lambs out there. And now you're stuck, huh? Because you have to get a lamb for sacrifice. They say, okay. And they, you bring out your money. It doesn't end there. Remember, there's money changers. So they bring out the and go, no, no, oh yeah. We don't take that kind of currency. We take shekels. So, have you ever noticed now they have them in malls where you can go exchange money, currency for different countries? Do you ever notice that? 
That's what they had there. Imagine that, us having one of those in the church. That's what they have right there. They go, oh, we don't take that. We take shekels. So we can exchange your money into shekels so you can give us shekels back and buy a lamb at 10 times the price. But when you exchange your money, we're going to charge you 25% of your money to exchange it. Can you imagine the racket they got going on? You're going to have to spend 25% of your money just to exchange it and then take your money and pay 10 times the price of what a lamb costs. I mean, talk about inflated prices, right? Let me show you how much money or give you an idea how much money these guys are making. Josephus, once again, the historian says, in one Passover, they sacrificed 256,000 sheep. Now think about that and all the money that they're bringing in on that temple. Now think of this. Jesus has destroyed their business once before. Remember John 2? And now he comes back and destroys it again. Do you think they're happy with him? No, because these people are cons and they're fleecing people. They're religious politicians and all they do is take money and take money and get kickbacks and take money and they help no one. And Jesus rips it apart. And they're not happy about that. So he clears all the clutter. Let me give you a couple, a couple now let me apply it, okay? You want some application? Jesus cleanses the temple in John 2. Now we're over in Mark 11, and we saw last week where he rode in on Sunday, he looks around the temple, and then he leaves. The reason why, and we said it last week, why he looks in the temple is because he's looking to see if once he cleansed it a couple years ago, are all the tables set up again? Have they redone it again, or do they stay cleansed? He gets in there the day before, and he sees it, and he sees they've set everything up all over again. Follow me? So they've reset all their sins. It's there again. Application. You ever notice, and it's true of all of us, that God delivers us from certain things and vices and sins, and then we just have this ability because of our sin nature to go back into certain sins? Raise your hand. Not just five of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys do. Huh? And then you get stuck back in something again, and you don't want to be in it, right? And so what does Jesus do? What he does here. He comes back in lovingly but radically. He clears the clutter. He'll gladly clean house again for us. So we're not stuck in that because that thing will destroy us. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me give you another application. Did they expect Jesus to cleanse the temple again? Or to destroy the Romans? So in other words, you could say that the, the Jewish people thought, Jesus, and this will be good when you deal with people and they throw this question at you, you'll see in a second. Jesus, whoa, 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 no Jesus, we want you to do something about the evil over there, out there, the Roman Empire, fortress of do something about that evil, not the evil in here. Did you just follow that? Did you follow that? Because that's what many people say. Why, here's the question, why doesn't God do something about evil? And what evil are they talking about? The evil out there, not the evil. Louder? 
not the evil in here. We all know, I think most of us know, that the Bible does teach New Testament, Romans 3. Paul writes that there's none of us righteous, not even one. We've all gone our own way. We're all sinners, every one of us. Doesn't mean you can't do a good deed here or there, but you and I both know that we've all committed at least 10,000 sins, right? We all know that. Okay. But people always say, and they throw the question, why doesn't God do something about evil? Here's how you answer it. When you say evil, you're talking about people doing evil. Yes. And you want God to do something about that evil, those evil people. Yeah. Why didn't God do something? Okay, here's the question then. If God got rid of all evil in the world, which means got rid of the evil people in the world at midnight tonight, who would he start with? And then you look at the person and say, you and me you and me because we're all evil we're all sinners every last one of us and Jesus comes to clear the clutter and thank God he doesn't just come and you're done he gives you and I an opportunity to come to faith in him and he clears the clutter for salvation now I'm going to give you a close and a second close okay is that okay Okay, good. Because the first close is a challenge. And, and, and that's this. <clears throat> I thought about this question. You, you guys have these right here? Did you guys get these? Yeah. Okay, good. Don't throw them away. Don't leave on your seats. Because we, we spend a lot of money. They're expensive. <laughs> okay, I thought about this question. If it's Monday... And Jesus is going to die on Friday, be buried. Sunday is going to rise from the dead, which means they will no longer need the temple sacrifices, correct? Because Jesus is the final sacrifice. That will render the sacrificial system obsolete. And I thought, then Jesus, what's the big deal? Why are you cleansing it if in six days it doesn't even matter anymore? You follow what I'm saying? It won't even matter. So what, why are you doing it? And I thought about it, I thought about it, thought, and I went back to something Jesus said that we read, and we're going to read it again. And that's this. It says, He began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of? Prayer. Louder, a house of? Prayer. Prayer. For who? All, All the nations. But you made it a robber's den. Hmm. So He cleans it out, the sacrificial system will be obsolete, but the house of God is still a place of multiple function, and one of the functions is a house of prayer. prayer. That's right. It's a house of prayer. That's why it cleans it out. One, a big reason, because we're going to get this thing right. You're made it into robbers den. You're fleecing people. We're going to get back to this is a house of prayer. We worship. We pray. All these things. Now, with that said, first close. These things right here. You keep one, put it on your keychain, I hope. And the other one you're going to hang up over there on that wall right there. On here, put the initials on each one of the people that you're praying for for salvation. Because it's a house of prayer, right? We pray around the altar, right? We're going to pray next week around the altar, right? It's a house of prayer. 
right? The initials of the, on each one. You put initials here, same ones you put here. Hang one over there, and you keep one in your keychain as a reminder who you're praying for, and if you're fasting, who you're fasting and praying for. There's a push towards Easter, and even if they're out of state, it's a push to get them in church somewhere, someplace, to get saved. Amen? Amen. And please, don't just say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Now, what are you going to do then? Just nothing? This is a reminder that you got to do something. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You go, nah, I'm going to do that. Well, really? Then you're making God into your image, right? Okay, enough on that one, because you're going to get mad at me. Now, this is my first close. So, over there. But here's the second close. Okay. <clears throat> you're here today. You're not a Christian. Or backslid. You don't walk with God anymore. Or your family drags you in here. You don't even want to be here. I remember those days. Um, so, this whole idea of the evil in here. We all, we're all sinners. Listen closely. So, I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago I was going to go to the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, eat my gumbo, and I got my gumbo and everything like that. And uh, I'm driving back, me and uh, Reggie Franz, we go to the Pac-12 tournament every year. And he asked me this question. He says, I, you know, I never, um, I don't understand why Hell has to be forever. Why are you punished for, for sin forever? Why so long? I said, well, think of it this way. See if this makes sense. If someone was to murder someone, say, take a gun, shoot somebody, the shooting of the gun, everything, maybe take a few seconds, right? Okay. But they catch him. They take him to court, convict him. But even though the murder took a few seconds, is the sentence in prison only a few seconds long? No. You took a life, and therefore you must give a lifetime. Does that make sense? Okay. When a person sins against a holy God, and every time we sin, it says that we sin against God. How long does God live for? He's forever. He's eternal. And so, and in God's eyes, sin is a bad thing. So therefore, since God is eternal and we've sinned against God, the punishment is what? Eternal. Does that make sense? It should make sense. And we all have that sin, the evil in here. Don't worry about the evil out there. I mean, we have enough people out there in the world and social media trying to tell everybody how wrong they are and lecture everybody and they can't even fix their own lives. You know what I mean? I'm kind of done with those, those things. <coughs> but the evil in here, and if you're here today as a, and not a Christian, do you really want to risk it all? It's eternal. It's eternal. Are you backslid? Do you really want to risk it all? See, that thing that lives in you that thinks, that consciousness, you know, that thing lives forever. Did you know that? It doesn't die. Your body dies, but that doesn't die. You're an eternal soul. It's going to live somewhere, heaven or hell, but it's your choice on it. Jesus made the way out. But you and I have sinned against a holy God, 
And therefore, because he's eternal, it's an eternal punishment. And I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to put your faith in Christ, to get it right if you're not a Christian. If you backslid, recommit your life to Christ. Let's get it right. When everybody close your eyes, if you'd like to put your faith in Christ to rededicate your life, I want you to do this simple thing. I want you to open up your eyes as, and look up at me as a sign between you, me, and God. I'm going to look back at you in a second, and when our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now. Now I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. And everyone's going to say it with you out loud. And you just put your faith in Christ. Not me, not the church, but Jesus. So here we go. Repeat after me. All together, everyone, especially those who looked up. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross, shedding your blood to forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. Come into my life. I surrender. Thank you for saving me. You are my God. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everybody that said that prayer looking up at me, God. I pray, Jesus, I hope, God, I pray for you that you follow up because the tree is known by its fruit. You've got to follow up now. Get a Bible. Start reading the New Testament only for a couple years. If you don't have one, go to the lobby right here. We have them for free at the Welcome Center. But begin reading about the person who saved you. Get into church. Start worshiping God regularly. If you're here visiting from out of state or far away, get into a church where you're from. But do that where they actually teach the Bible and actually worship God and teach a born-again experience. God, I thank you for everybody that looked up today. And I thank you for this day, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. A few things before I let you go. Um, remember that you're going to put those I'm, I'm praying, hopefully, that you put those key tags, one on your keychain, one up there, put the initials on there. Sign up for the men's breakfast. Next one's coming up. You've got to sign up so we get a head count for food. It's in two weeks. You can go online, sign up for that. We have a great time. We're studying Elijah. If you need prayer for anything, my left or right, they'll pray for you over here in the corner right there. Bible study, we're teaching on uh, Daniel. We're only in the second week, so you can jump right in any, any time. But other than that, I think, I think we're good. Don't forget the, the key tags, please. Other than that, I think we're, we're good. So God bless you guys. We'll see you when we see you. Have a great day. Have a great day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.